You are listening to Revealing Real Estate Podcast, where we dive into getting over your fear of taking risk in real estate and making money while you sleep. I'm Nico Pedizano, your host and real estate guru with over 20 years of experience. It's time to get real. All right, all right, all right. We are back on Revealing Real Estate. We're going to have a wonderful guest on today's show. The reason we invited this gentleman over is because of the current status of the real estate market and financing rates that have just now hit the roof and may continue to to rise. And what we're finding in this market right now is that uh, a lot of investors, uh, especially through the calls that I'm getting, are getting very worrisome into maintaining uh, their negative cash flow investment properties. And especially having a mortgage on their primary resident, there's a lot of money that's kind of they're dipping into their pockets to make sure that they maintain these properties and, and maintain to keep them year over year. And there's what I'm finding is that there's a lot of investors that have a lot of cash right now that are just sitting on the sidelines waiting on the fence to really want to dabble into the real estate market. And we're seeing a lot of assignment sales where people are looking to walk away from even their deposits because they can't close on these deals because the rental income will not carry uh, the cost of financing. And then a lot of these new home condominium closings are going to be taking place. And we're seeing a lot of assignments on the market. So today I want to welcome to the show a mortgage broker who's on a mission to help as many families as possible to take control of their finances and use good debt to their advantage. He will be going through the amazing mortgage strategy that he encourages. So please welcome to the show, Zach Lafuto. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. Zach, what's interesting about your strategy right now and what I found interesting, the reason why I want to have you on the show is that I'm always looking at finding new innovative ways to get creative, especially there's a lot of things that were in the past moved to the sideline just because the rates were so low that those strategies didn't work. But today they're coming back into play. And one of the strategies that you like to use when you're when you're getting approvals done for investors is something called rental cash damming. Now, uh, would you mind just kind of talking about what rental cash damming is right now? 100%. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll bring it back a little bit too. Is it was around like the start of the year. I'm looking to, like you said, diversify, educate in a different way. People are still buying these investment properties or there's still opportunities out there, but they may be shying away from it because of the interest rates or because of the high payments on their principal residence, right? So we put together a site, put together consumable content, easy for people to understand around rental cash damming was one of the first things that we you know, wanted to get out there. And essentially, it is the process of you need to have one investment property, right? And you take your primary residence mortgage, you have to have a certain specific product, mortgage product set up, and you also have to have a readvanceable line of credit on there. So a readvanceable line of credit would be um, a line of credit that when you pay down your mortgage, more limit is available on that line of credit. So you got $200,000 line of credit. You have a, you pay down your mortgage by $5,000. Now you have 205,000, right? Available on the line of credit. That's important for the mm -hmm. strategy moving forward. Then you have your investment property, right? Which is generating rental income. So the people are paying your rent every single month, paying down the principal, et cetera. Normally people would take that rent, have it in an account and pay the mortgage on that investment property. The cash damming scenario is essentially just moving around the money in a different way and transferring your bad debt on your primary residence, which most people think, oh, it's good debt, I've used it to buy an asset, but it still isn't tax deductible, right? So you wanna make that owner-occupied mortgage interest tax deductible by taking that rental income from your rental property, 
doubling up the payments or putting as much more down towards your mortgage payment on your principal residence each month. So again, specific mortgage products allow you to top up your payments more without having to pay any prepayment penalties or anything like that. Um, and then reborrowing the money to pay the mortgage on your investment property from a from the pers- uh, from the home equity line of credit, right? From your primary residence. This way, you're not eliminating the debt. It does pay the mortgage down faster, right? It does pay your primary mortgage off faster, but you're now converting it onto the line of credit. When you borrow money to invest in Canada, that interest portion of that loan is now tax deductible, and a home equity line of credit is an interest-only payment, or the minimum payment would be an interest-only payment. So theoretically there, or not theoretically the way it works, is that as you pay that mortgage down, you're now converting all the debt very quickly onto that line of credit, and now you're changing your bad debt on your primary to good debt through the line of credit conversion. Okay, so just to simplify things a little bit, so for those that are viewers or listeners that are just kind of new into the investment game itself, from my understanding, what you're trying to say is that right now, if I owned a property that, or I went to go buy an investment property, I have my primary residence, I own an investment property, I go buy, I have a certain uh, downstroke to put towards that investment property. Then I go get a mortgage on that investment property itself. And then any rental income that I was going to receive would actually go directly towards that mortgage payment. What you're saying is you take a line of credit on my primary resident, right? Let's yep. just use, if it was myself, for instance, and I want to get my first rental property, yep. I'm going to take a line of credit. Am I using the line of credit to purchase the property itself? Or am I also having a secondary mortgage on that property? So it, it depends on your structure there. You could do an equity takeout and increase your mortgage amount and use that. But then again, it's not tax deductible. You want to get as much onto that line of credit and use it to invest so that you make it tax deductible. You could borrow from the line of credit in order to do that. You may have money already saved, right? If you've been in your property for 10, 15 years and you have the ability just to use that as the down payment. It depends on the structure or how you want to structure it or depends on your specific situation. So yes or no, basically you could borrow it from that line of credit. All you're trying to do is make sure that you are converting that mortgage onto the line of credit as quickly as possible, but you also need to have enough room on that line of credit, right? So there are rules that are coming into play that may change the, the, the ability or the maximum amount you can borrow from those readvanceable lines. Mm-hmm. So if you were to take the full down payment from that line of credit, you got to make sure that you're not locking yourself out from being able to borrow more from the right. line of credit. Right. So that's you, you, where you want to have some comfort. You want to have some, a little bit of a, it, a comfort zone there where you still have a little bit of availability on that line of credit where you're not maxed out on it. Exactly. So if you're worried, if you just max it out right away to use for the down payment, well now you have to now pay down your mortgage more in order to borrow more. So it's not going to work potentially right away. So you do have to have that buffer off the bat. So let's say I was in a scenario where I had a mortgage and on the investment property, and I also had a mortgage on my primary resident. I, I take a, a HELOC or a line of credit on my primary resident, and I have that available to me. And now I also have a mortgage on my mortgage on my investment property. The interest on my investment property that I'm paying out is that not tax deductible? That is. So that's that's good debt. That's truly good debt, right? You've used debt to purchase an asset, and the interest is a tax write off, right? And normally you would just write that off against income that you have coming Correct. in from the rental property. And most likely Which within this market, do. you're going to be claiming a loss on yeah, that. And yeah, yeah. depending be, on You should be getting a check property. back on that, I guess. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. And, and that's why you're saying you're going to double up on that because now you're also going to take the interest from the HELOC or the line of credit that you're going to exactly. be receiving. And that interest as well is going to be tax deductible. So you're, you're, you're double dipping kind of sense. That's, yeah. that's it. That's what we're trying to do is that, and it, it works exponentially, right? At the start, you're going to have mostly mortgage and just a little bit as that line of credit grows and grows. But 
if you think about a scenario where the principal residence mortgage payment is three grand, we'll just make it easy with easy numbers, three grand, your principal residence and your rental income you get is $3,000, right? Right. So as if you normally made that mortgage payment on your principal residence, it would be 800 bucks, let's say goes towards the principal. When we're taking that rental income and doubling up those mortgage payments, that all directly goes to principal. So you're paying almost 3,800, like four grand a month is now getting reduced on that on that principal residence mortgage balance. So it's quickly converting onto the line of credit. You think after three months, you've paid your mortgage down 12 grand, right? So it's that's that's the power of how quickly you're gonna convert that debt. In most scenarios, if you're looking at a, a $500,000 mortgage, which is I'd say average and depending on where you are, but in in, in Ontario, let's say kind of average loan amount 5, 550 that I'm seeing or that I do on properties. Um, if you have a $500,000 mortgage, we can pretty much convert that debt. It's generally uh, depending on interest rates and, and how much rental income you have coming in. So there's some variables, but I see in between eight to like 11 years is kind of the, the time, right, time frame where we're going to convert that whole mortgage onto that line of credit, right? It's also going to be paid down pretty aggressively. So generally the strategy, we're paying mortgages off 10 years sooner. We're getting tax returns over that period of time of like, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, like the last um, uh, scenario that we set up, this was just a few weeks ago, over the life of her mortgage and paying it off, she's gonna receive $175,000 in, in tax returns that she's gonna get back. And again, that's gonna be exponential because you're only gonna get a little bit in year one, two, three, four, but then when we fully converted that loan, she's looking at you know getting $14,000, $15,000 tax returns when you're in that middle before you start to then aggressively pay off the line of credit. So it's a faster strategy and you're getting those those tax returns, right? Yeah, and I'm just trying to, because this is new and, and I haven't really dabbled into something like this quite often. So I'm just really going to try to, you know, yeah. pick your brain on a lot of stuff that may just kind of create some red flags in my mind. Yep. If I'm in a situation or a scenario where there's an investor in a situation today where he's now got this investment property, maybe he's got a couple of doors right now and he's in the negative cash flow on those investment properties. He also owns a primary resident. And these are these are most case scenarios today I'm right. going to give you here, right? right? And, and, and he owns this primary resident where he's also in negative cash flow. If he, with the interest rates today, and if he maintained to stay on the variable and then unlock into a fixed rate, he's going to be in, in a pretty negative cash flow on that rental property. And if he wanted now to do the, the rental cash damming scenario or strategy, and he's still within that opportunity, if he takes that rental income and now puts it towards his line of credit, is he doubling down from his line of credit on that payment to the investment property? So it's it still works in a negative cash flow situation. And if he was on, if this you know scenario, if they're on uh, variable rate mortgages on their primary and the investment properties and everywhere, say your primary residence is maybe a higher mortgage than you have. If you start aggressively paying that down, that's going to drop those payments right down, right? And then you only have to make interest-only payments on the line of credit as Correct. you convert it. So it actually could help you improve your overall cash flow, right? Like if you're looking at your entire portfolio. Because if you're just looking at how can I change this from a negative to positive or neutral cash flow... It's essentially, it's you're always still going to be in the negative exactly. regardless. It's the same. Yeah. It's just another way of, I think it, the, the, what I like about it is that it allows that tax deductible that you're going to get on that line of credit now. And it makes sense because that it, I wouldn't be so much in the red as an investor at that pr perspective, well, because I am going to be receiving yeah. a check back from the bank in regards to my interest that I'm paying on the line of credit as exactly. well. Exactly. And that's what you that can, I wouldn't have had if I'm only directed on the investment property itself, 100%, correct? 100%. Yeah. So it's it's just adding an extra 
you know, value there. To, or a layer. To, a layer, to exactly, yeah. right? And then you can go ahead and you want to get really aggressive with the strategy moving forward. You can take those tax returns, use lump sum payments and pay that mortgage down even faster, right? Put it back into the strategy or you keep it and now that's you've created another safety net. So if there's negative cash flow situations, a tenant moves out, like we can talk about worst case scenario on investment properties. There's risk obviously with everything. So that doesn't, this doesn't negate the risk of in general, but that also kind of allows you to have that cash and then be able to to potentially deploy that in other, in other scenarios to mitigate the risk on things as well. So lots, lots of applications with that tax return money. Does this work for uh, somebody who has many doors, let's say 10 doors and he's maybe receiving $10,000 a month of income on, on his rental property. Can this be also converted for every single property owns or are you limited to how many doors you should have? Yeah. Now, for sure, it, it can. Now, it would limit to how much they can do. And oftentimes, I see when people own, they're getting to five, six, seven investment properties, and I'm looking at someone with with a ton of doors, they've probably, they may have already optimized their debt, right? They may have used the investment properties, refinanced and paid off their primary residence already to make everything tax deductible, in which case, you've already won, you've, you've set it up, right? So I find like this may be like, this strategy is more focused and what we try to find is that the, maybe the, the, the new, the first time investor or like the average person who's just trying to figure out how to get ahead using the strategy right, right. by buying one or a second investment property. Not saying that it doesn't work. And if you have a big primary residence, we can totally look at setting this up for you. And right? if you like, built up a lot of equity within your primary residence, it, it may be something as an opportunity where because the line of credit is interest payments only yep. and you're going to be writing off that interest every single month. You can uh, pull it out to use to buy, like to grow faster. To grow That's faster, the thing of course. Too. Like, even so now if, all that, let's say you wanted to refine, let's say you had a million dollar line of credit and you wanted to use half a million dollars to go buy a condo in downtown Toronto. You you go use the all the LC from the line of credit to purchase it and then write off the entire interest off the, the yeah, line of credit. Exactly. And so now, now you have the interest payment only option, and then you still have that cash flow that, that's positive towards putting towards maybe a secondary property. I'm just yeah. kind of oh, yeah, you know, working this out all. And, like, and, and that's where like the line of credit also helps you in that as a safety net in the negative cash flow situations, right? Because it can cover and you're using to pay that. As long as you're using it to invest, it is a tax write off that interest that you're paying on the line of credit. So it can help be a buffer for you as well in those negative cash flow properties. Now, if it's too much negative cash flow and you've got a condo in downtown Toronto that's negative two thousand bucks a month cash flow, now now you got to look at a bigger issue there and maybe liquidating that and buying something that's at least neutral or secondary tertiary markets in Ontario or Alberta or wherever you want to invest where the cash or you still can have some cash flow or at least be neutral. Obviously, going to be more stable for your portfolio. But in saying that, the cash damming can work, right, with with even negative cash flow properties. I want to keep this on the the line of investors right now because this podcast is more going to be directed to to an investor right now to help them through their scenarios of maybe what they're going through based on the change within the market itself. And I want to talk about if somebody's already been in the market and they have investment properties and they've already built up a real estate portfolio itself. And how can, what do you feel is the best strategy for them to, have the encouragement to continue purchasing within this market, you know, because approvals today and, and where I'm going with this is that it becomes, and I'm sure from your perspective, becomes a lot more difficult today to get people approved on financing. Even if they're, you're going to take it to a bank and, and somebody wants to buy an investment property and the bank is seeing that that property is showing a negative cash flow. What are some of the scenarios that you would advise for somebody to still be very 
optimistic about getting into the real estate market today? Yeah, I mean, looking for opportunity. This is always going to be what an investor, you know, should be looking at is, is looking for those properties with major upside, or looking for properties where they've now changed the zoning and allowed for triplex, quadplex, like conversions, right? Garden so suites, laneway suites, exactly. things like that. Yep. Is is it on a, a small or a large lot with a little property on there, and then you could develop that and add that ADU or something or additional dwelling unit there in the back, or build, you know, a, a full structure? I've I've seen some crazy videos of people, um, you know, converting a single family that was on a double lot into a, a, an eight plex or whatever, right? right. By yep. doing two quads without having the development charges because of the zoning changes, right? So uh, that's, I think that's always something that people should be looking for is making money on the buy and then seeing the opportunity. And then, and then from there, you know, in terms of a qualification or mortgage standpoint, don't be afraid of uh, the alternative lending if you're really trying to grow your portfolio big, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. The, the interest rate may be a little bit higher, but if your credit's pretty good, it's not too far off from what the bank lending is generally other than the fee that you're going to have with an alternative mortgage is a 1% fee on the mortgage amount. But in terms of interest rates, you go with an alternative lending product. Now they're going to take into account 90, a hundred percent of the rental income on all of your other properties where traditional a lending is going to look at 50% maybe. So most of your properties are going to probably be liabilities or especially now with yeah, higher you, interest. You, payments, you'll be, right? you'll be paying a lot more bibs on it from that perspective, but, but, not, but not necessarily a lot if there's good upside to the property, correct, right? So right. if there is, if it's there and you've done the, the due diligence and it makes sense, then that's going to be a way to get into the market, maybe use contract rate instead of having distress tests. So you just qualify at whatever the interest rate is like those little things as a, you know, people call them B lenders instead of alternative lending. And that puts a negative connotation onto it, but it can be a very viable asset or tool to actually continue to invest and still find those properties with the upside. I got a lot of questions for you. Sorry, man. So <laughs> no problem. that's what I'm here for. All right. That's yeah, it. <laughs> it, it's uh, it's one of those things that right now they're new markets or unseen territories that we haven't seen in quite some time. I know that this is a, a hypothetical question and you really don't have the full answer to it because at the end of the day, nobody really knows. But where do you think the interest rates are going and how long do you think we're going to be staying that's, with these high interest rates? That's that's the golden question, right? Yeah, yeah correct. Honestly, inquiry minds yeah, really want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, honestly, it's uh, it's like a 50-50 shot every time the Bank of Canada meets now. It's like, are we gonna are we going to finally hit that plateau? Are we going to go up? Is it four months ago when they said we had already plateaued and then we get another two increases? It's our, you know, we just have to go based on the information that we're receiving, right? From the government, from other financial regulatory services and everything, what the governor is going to do, right? Um, so we have to just use the information that we're given, but it seems like, you know, one week, okay, we finally hit this plateau. Oh, inflation's actually up again, where they're probably going to raise another quarter point. What I'm saying to anyone that's in a variable or adjustable rate mortgage, is just be prepared for a quarter point increase, right? Maybe before the end of the year, maybe as soon as September 6th, which this podcast will probably come out after, so don't quote me on it, but we, we, may, <laughs> we may see that quarter point increase or we may see a plateau, but then another one before the end of the year. It's like we have to get the information that comes out on all the data points that they base their decisions on, and then that comes out a week, two weeks before the rate increase, which changes the mind of the, of the Bank of Canada from going from plateau to to rate increase right so well and what i'm hearing is that right now there's a lot of refinancing that's going to be coming on the table within uh, 2023 moving into 2024 and people are going to be looking there's a big amount of mortgages that are going to be looking at getting refinanced and yep. what they're doing to wait before they start dropping these rates is to 
get these together. properties. Like you mean like renewed, like uh, to be renewed. Yeah, 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 that are coming up for renewals. Yeah. Correct. Uh, I don't know what that number is. I don't have that stat on me right now. You yeah. may have it. What I'm hearing is that they're waiting for everybody to come up for these renewals, lock into then, these new five-year fixed rates or three-year yeah. fixed rates, and then at that point, incrementally start dropping these rates. Yeah, I mean, Do you that, think that could be an option here? That, I mean, that makes sense, right? But like what what makes sense and what doesn't make sense seem to have gone out the window, right? <laughs> so it could, it could, it, um, it could I hear you on but like, one, I know I, I hear that makes sense to me and the, you know, the bank of Canada's eyes or the banks in general for them to, to, to get more money or lock people in. But a lot of people are taking those short-term fix. They're not opting for a four or five year, right? Like a lot of people, most, the majority of my clients this year are looking or want to look at the two or three year fixed option and kind of hedge their bets on the rates will come down in, one, two, three years, they're going to start to come down. Then when I renew at that time, I'm going to be at a more manageable interest rate. But we also don't know where that's going to go down to. What if we just kind of settle at four and a half percent, five percent? Yeah, I don't think we're going to be seeing two percent anymore. I don't it, think so. It, yeah. yeah, pending another global pandemic. But we'll yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's like, that's like when the uh, the American and Canadian dollar came to par. I said to myself, I said, this is an opportunity right now because I don't think you're ever going to see yeah, that change dollar. Change all your money. Into change US all your dollars. money. Exactly. <laughs> or we'll start investing into the States right now. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so yeah, it, it's one of those things. Now, I want to talk about the savvy investor who's listening to this show. Mm-hmm. Guy's got multiple doors. Now he's in negative cash flow on all of his investment properties because he left all of his investments into the variable rate. Which lots of people did. So Which don't l- feel bad, Mr. Yeah, Investor. <laughs> I hear you. Nobody really thought or imagined that, uh, yeah. including uh, mortgage brokers, oh, didn't 100%. think that the rates were going to come to this high. So we have a savvy investor who has multiple doors right now, and he's in neg- negative cash flow on majority of his properties, if not any of his properties, unless he's built up equity. But a lot of these investors, what they've done was they've originally taken out, and, and savvy investors, what they do is they take out that cash that they have built in equity over those investment properties, refinance those properties, take out that cash to get their second door, their third door, their fourth door, their fifth door, and continuously build up on that system. That's how kind of people were willing to grow their portfolio at a rapid pace. Now these these properties, unfortunately, are not producing what they used to produce. And they're struggling right now to maintain those payments. What are some strategies that you would suggest to that investor at this point in time? Should he uh, maybe take some chips off the table at this point in time, relinquish one of those investment properties to pull to pay off some of those other ones. Uh, maybe he's got some equity that are built in. Should he continue, in your opinion, reinvesting into the market? You know, right now today, uh, GICs are, I think, are running at 6%, right? And there's a lot of people sitting with some cash right now that don't want to make any moves and just say, hey, listen, I'll keep my money in the bank right now. I'm going to earn that interest. Right. And why continue investing into the real estate market where there's so much uncertainty right now? What's your opinion on that? Enjoying this episode? Leave us a review letting us know what you want to learn next and make sure you're following our podcast to be the first to hear our new episodes every Friday. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube for full video and behind the scenes access. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely is going to come down to their overall portfolio, right? Like optimizing their portfolio, stabilizing their portfolio. Is it negative cash flow on all of those properties and how much, how sustainable sustainable is that right how much cash do you have in reserves is there an opportunity to look at your mortgages is one paid down a little bit and there's equity to make a buffer to get you by is there the line of credit that you can utilize on your on your principal residence or maybe you've got it that paid down significantly can you use that as a buffer but how long do you want to use that as a buffer too is it going to be that that's a sustainable you crunch the numbers for one year two years three years like 
at some point it's got to be you can't be negative on on all of those properties right like that's you can't just go off speculation and that the appreciation value is going to at the end of the day correct you got to be you got to have some you, cash flow running yeah, through especially or, if you built on some equity and you bought these properties years ago exactly. you know 5 6 years ago so looking at what your mortgage options are because there are like to go back to alternative lending that we talked about a little bit is extended amortizations right 35 40 year amortizations in in some cases so drastically reduce those payments in the short term when interest rates are higher, right? So what if we look at, you know, a refi, extend those amortizations, lower it, maybe make it neutral or maybe even positive, depending on how low you can get those mortgage payments. And then a lot of people, you know, or they realize or don't realize, you can always, when you go for renewal, drop that amortization back down if you want to. So if you're looking for a cash flow purpose, you want to hold, hold that property for as long as possible, you re-amortize, you refinance to just get those payments as low as possible. Interest rates go back down to 3.5% in a couple of years. That's fantastic. If they do, hopefully, maybe, um, then you can go and look at, I want to pay the mortgage off now faster. I'll drop it back down to 30 or 25 or 20 or whatever it is, right? To just to manage that cash flow or manage that, uh, you know, negative. It's a good answer. This that's some real, really good advice. And by the way, people need to understand that even if you are in a negative cash flow on that investment, it is a tax deductible. It, that, that's still tax. You're still yeah. The interest you're paying on that loan is tax deductible. And then if you again go back to what we were talking about, the rental cash damming scenario, it still works in that scenario. And you're bore as long as you can borrow the money from the line of credit, and it continues to increase, and it's readvanceable on your primary residence then you have that buffer because now you're paying the negative cash flow portion from the line of credit as well. So it's not coming from another source or from your employment income or, or somewhere else like that. Right. I'm not a big believer in selling properties and I don't like investors to sell yeah. properties. When they yeah. call me up and say, Hey Nick, you know, I'm in this negative cash flow. I don't, I mean, unless I, I don't know what to do right now. And I'm like, well, listen, you know, and this is yeah. now a creative opportunity for somebody to really understand that, Hey, maybe just hold on to this, yeah. you know, ride out the storm a little bit longer. But I think like if you get into some cash, that I mean right now. If, yeah. If I think you a hundred percent, I agree with that. But I think if it's maybe a single family home or a condo or something that doesn't have any more upside potential, or you've held it, you bought it pre-con, you've held it for years and it's kind of served its purpose. Maybe it is time to liquidate, take that cash out and then move it into a different project where there is more opportunity for you. Yeah, so the only the only problem case, is that there's a capital then, there's the capital gains tax implication that you're going to be facing when you do sell that property instead 100%. of you know maybe calling up a gentleman like yourself who's going to be able to maybe leverage that property if you have yeah. some equity built in to maybe yeah, yeah, you know yeah. figure out the cash damage system component. Yep, 100%. You pull some of that equity from that property. And then that's now, a, that's what I'm all about too. Like, right? Even for this like first time investor kind of niche that I'm, I'm looking into or trying to help these families. Yeah, with, probably right? a lot of people that you're dealing with right it's, now are first time buyers. Yeah, well, first time investors is really first time where, investors where, 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 is where you're we headed. Switched. Yeah, yeah that, nice. that's pretty much it. Like we deal with a lot of first time home buyers. I love I love the education piece, right? Like that's what I'm all about on social media. I try and do as much kind of education pieces as well. And when I'm talking to people, so those first time investors, first time home buyers, but. The first time investors, yeah, I'm telling, I'm not talking about flipping properties with them or getting a quick buck in and out. I'm like, okay, we're going to buy this property and hold it for 10, 15, 20 years so we can fully execute the cash damming strategy on your owner occupied. And then also, hey, do you have younger kids? Like we can use the equity in the home to now pay for their education costs in the future. You know, we can save for retirement now by buying this property. Like it's all about just literally buying one property. And then if they want to continue to grow their portfolio, I'm happy to, you know, set them in the right direction and help them out with that. 
But Which is great. Just yep. buying like one property is now setting you, you know, worlds ahead of where you were before and paying your mortgage down faster on your own occupied home. So let's talk to, let's talk about that first time investor then. So if an investor has now they've purchased their primary resident and they just bought it maybe a year ago, are you working with them to make sure that they pull a, a HELOC on their property ASAP? Like so does that happen immediately? No, because they probably don't have enough room in equity for this strategy to fully be executed. But I have, however, you know, dealt with people that they want to buy an investment property. Maybe they bought a year or two ago. They haven't built up a ton of equity where we can pull it out yet or fully use a rental cash damning, but they believe in, you know, by investing in the real estate market. And then they, they talk to, um, you know, someone like, like their parents or whatever, and they have younger kids and they say, okay, can you give us like an early inheritance so we can invest? I've, I've a hundred percent done this scenario where we've actually looked at a reverse mortgage on the, you know, elderly parents' home, gifted them that money from putting a reverse mortgage. So they still had no payments. It didn't change their lifestyle. We actually paid out the mortgage that they had with the reverse mortgage. So we actually improved their cash flow because the reverse mortgage just has no payments. The interest is just added on to the loan every month. Um, that's repaid back after they pass away or they sell the home. Um, so then they actually gifted them the equity to buy a first investment property that it was essentially a gift for their grandchildren because that's what the money is going to be used for in the future for their education or just to pass that on to their children. So like lots of creative ways that we can look at real estate investing, getting that equity from somewhere or an early inheritance in that case. And then in the future, now they have the investment property, they're paying down their mortgage. We can implement a rental cash damming scenario as they pay down their mortgage. They have more room in there. We can add the HELOC component to it or their, their property appreciates, right? Now they've just, uh, the appreciation's gone up or the equity's gone up available and we can do that scenario as well. So we're preparing people that want to learn more about this, put the education piece in front of them, get them thinking about it. If it's not now, maybe it's in one, two, three years down the line, but if we can do it now, let's get you in. The interest rates, yes, it's tougher. You may have to look for a different property, find some more upside, but there's still tons of opportunity for you now, as well as when we can fully optimize your your debt and turn it all into good debt. When I first started in the business, I've been in business now 20 years. I've been a, I've been a licensed real estate agent and, and helping people uh, grow their real estate portfolio. And I've always been a big believer in educating and teaching people how to start continuously purchasing uh, one property, then get into your secondary property, the third and fourth, and, and continuously growing that real estate portfolio. Because my, I truly believe real estate is one of the biggest, the most fundamental, sound, safest investments that you can make in the market. And good markets, bad markets, I do believe real estate in a, in the long run will always get you ahead of the game. What I used to see in the past when I first got started and, and what we haven't been seeing, which I think will come back to the table, are vendor take-back mortgages. Mm -hmm. And one of those... Uh, strategies is going when you're purchasing a property and maybe that seller right now is in a situation where th that property is fully paid off or they have a little mortgage on it asking the fact if they, the seller would be willing to give you a yep. mortgage on that and and that is kind of a, a strategy that i think is very creative yep. and i think it's going to start coming to the table again based on the current rates where you, you could remove a lot of that red tape that that a lenders are going to require even some b lenders I, are going to require all the well. red tape Right, you're just, you're just, and, and you're saying, "Hey, like, listen, yeah. I'm going to buy this property for yeah. X amount of dollars, but I need, and I'm going to give you 50% down. You're buying a property, let's say, at a million dollars. Yeah. I'm going to give you five hundred thousand dollars down, yeah. building on equity. And I'm at Mr. Seller. Can you provide me a mortgage on that yeah. property for the other five hundred thousand dollars at eight or nine percent interest rate? Yeah, I've I've seen tons of creative uh, solutions and situations for this. Um, 
you know, like, uh, people getting either, yeah, full VTB, like you said, like doing the full vendor take back on, they had no mortgage, they gift them up even up to 80%, like, right. Or utilizing a small VTP going in second position almost, and then getting a mortgage with another private guy or something in mm -hmm. first position. So mm -hmm. almost a hundred percent financing in certain situations. I've also seen, um, a real estate investor friend of mine who bought, uh, bought an entire, uh, apartment building and they were coming up to the closing. The closing didn't quite happen. They ended up negotiating a 0% vendor take back for nine months where they could p take possession of the property, you know, build the upside on it and then get paid out in nine months. So it's like, when, if the sell, if the motivation is there, you got to find the motivation and yeah. find the pain points. How can we make this happen? Like there's always a deal to be had. How can you make that happen? Right? Yeah, exactly. Another interesting strategy right now would be, which I, I see in the past and it's attractive. So when I'm walking into a listing presentation to evaluate somebody's house and I'm going to put it up for sale, mm -hmm. I ask them if I can get the documents for their mortgage, their current mortgage right now. Mm -hmm. And if there's an attractive rate there, where maybe they were smart enough to lock the into the fix. Yeah. We push the assumable mortgage. And, so, and that is really creative. You want to so touch that, on that? Yeah, there's a couple things because this has come up as a topic of conversation. So I said, you know what? I need to I need to know more. I've never dealt with it before, right? Or, up at, or had, you it never wasn't needed a thing. to, right? Yeah, yeah because like, people were just getting approved 2%, 3% yeah, interest yeah. rates. And it was only been a thing in the past. Exactly. And when I started so, on the business, it was there because rates yeah. were still at 5 6% when I started, so, I think, at that point. So things about the assumable mortgage now is the big thing. Yes, you can do it. You got to qualify with their lender. A couple things that are the negatives to it. One would be you have to, you just get that exact mortgage. So if you've got a $1.2 million house and the sellers only have a $400,000 mortgage left on the property because they've lived there for whatever amount of time, well, you need to bring $800,000 to the table. The bank's not going to do like a blend and extend mortgage where they say, okay, we'll give you this mortgage and we'll increase it for it. No, they're like, if you're assuming the mortgage, you get this mortgage. That's it. You're taking the term, the rate, everything about it, the amount, the loan amount, you got to bring everything else to the table. So again, not a lot of people, if they're in a scenario like that, they've got 800K lying around that they're going to dump into the property to buy it. So that's one negative. The second thing I learned that I thought was much, was interesting is that these sellers are still liable for that mortgage for 12 months after the mortgage has been assumed by the buyer. So if they default in that 12 months, I didn't know that. in some way they, they are still liable on that mortgage. So they really kind of got to do, yes, the banks obviously got to approve them. So they're going to do their due diligence, but you know, you got to kind of maybe really read out these people. If, if they screw up in any way and don't pay the mortgage, I don't know what the repercussions are. I just know that they're still, they are still liable for 12 months after those 12 months of payments go by. Then now the mortgage is fully the new buyers. Like they're off the sellers off the book or off the hook. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool. And that's some good advice. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of stuff I didn't know on that. Yeah. I just wanted to, to, I, we had a, we had a guest on uh, last week, uh, a gentleman all the way from Boston, Massachusetts, I think from Rhode Island. And right now in the States, they are running with the rental rental own program itself, uh, which was pretty big uh, or it's running pretty big right now based on the new rates right now. And basically he's, you know, trying to look to expand that and it's going to air out next week. So if anybody or listeners are, are looking to get into um, listening to rental own programs, go back one one episode and, and you'll be able to hear that. Uh, it's a great episode and it's exciting to bring to market because I'm wondering now if the Toronto real estate market will start picking up a lot on that. Any insight on the rental program? Yeah, I've, I've, I've looked into it a bit before in the past or helped people kind of navigate contracts that they've been in. And that could actually go back to what we were talking about before in terms of 
how to maybe turn your negative cash flow into a positive cash flow situation Correct. because now you have someone where you can be charging them more rent that's going to go towards sort of the future down payment but you're still collecting that money in the interim Correct. right so that that can kind of couple into that uh, and help you as the investor now as the um, purchaser of this property you just really got to you got to do your due diligence on the area because you, you are doing some form of speculation you're generally buying it more than the market value is today in a rent to own kind of situation, expecting the appreciation. So if that had been done, you know, two years ago and you're coming into a market where it's down, you know, you're still, there's risks like everything, like we've talked about, yeah, right? But, but what's, what, what I'm but it is you know, an interesting. It uh, is interesting, yeah. right? And there's a lot of these conversations that are mm -hmm. really starting to happen that you really didn't see we when the market was going crazy. And yeah. now people today are getting That's so creative. That's everything we're talking about, right? And <laughs> I think, and I think a lenders right now need to really start getting more creative on how they're approaching their and financial situations. it seems like situations. they're tighten, tightening up, right? And it seems like we're, they're tightening we're up. qualifying exactly. people at, with the stress test, eight, nine percent right like if those interest rates keep going up we have to qualify them at that that's you're not qualifying for a lot of mortgage in the in that i'm sense, hearing certain a a lenders are now starting to reopen their doors to mortgage brokers again and when you start hearing yep. that they're like okay they're looking to get more mortgages in the door and here. then and then what's scary like even an article i was reading today is that um i think scotia bank and bemo have put aside way more money than usual for defaults right now so that was from like this morning they've now you know mitigated an extra whatever billions of dollars probably I didn't, I didn't I don't remember the exact number they're but preparing. they're preparing for the defaults on the A lending whereas if you maybe just renew your mortgage or refinance with an alternative lender you might not need to default on that mortgage right like there's there's opportunities that you can kind of help yourself out if if the payment I know obviously the payment goes up that's not really going to help you in the situation but if it's terms of qualifying or restructuring the loan or reamortizing it like I was saying 35 year kind of whatever amortizations that'll low the, lower the payments down, there's options before you kind of just default on that mortgage with the A lender. Are you seeing a lot of struggles right now? I uh, mean, I, are, I, you, are you seeing, are you seeing the rope ready start to break again? Well, you know what? It's, it takes whatever the statistic is 12 to 18 months for the real bite of interest rates to start taking effect. Now Correct. we're, we're in that window and we're getting into that time where those original rate increases are now the first couple rate increases are actually taking effect on people because now they've had increased payments for 12, 14, 16 months. Right. Um, and then now they're the one, now they've been, they've been tightening the budget. Maybe there's nowhere else to tighten. So if we see another rate increase, then that could be it where they need so, to so sell. What's, what's, so what's, and speak to those viewers right now that are in that situation. What's your advice? Oh, man, it's, it's tough because if you, yeah, if you hadn't locked into anything, you got to go back to certain lenders and I've seen it done successfully a couple times. It's kind of difficult, but go back to the, go to your lender before things get too bad to before they, you just, I don't have any more money. I can't pay my mortgage payment this month. Do a little bit of pre-planning. If you've already budgeted, if you've already cut out, you know, everything you possibly can, go to the lender and ask about, you know, potentially doing a re-amortization without refinancing because then that would cost you money and the situation and going through qualifying again, you might not. They may allow you to, you know, increase that amortization back. A lot of lenders have like a skip a mortgage payment option where you can skip for one month or a deferred interest till the end of the loan. Like, there are clauses in a mortgage that are more flexible than people think. And I think they just, you know, lose sleep because there's no options. You got to talk to your mortgage broker that you worked with. Go talk to the bank. If you got your mortgage through, through the bank, like go see what those options are before you're, before you're one week away from making your last mortgage payment. And you only have a 
couple bucks in the account, right? My opinion is on it right now, based on where we're at today, and we haven't seen these interest rates uh, quite some time, and I'm going to keep reiterating on that, I've never seen 7% in my life since I've been a real estate agent. I wonder if the bank should be doing something to extend and increase that amortization rate and bringing down and reducing that stress test a bit too as well for these approval aspects on it. But let's talk about the amortization rate real quick. Uh, sure. We're running into more at the end of the show, but I just want to yeah. leave it on that. Do you think that the bank should extend amortization rates right now? Um, I think in terms of, I don't, I don't know if extending past the 30 year amortization would be good for people. Like you're just, but extending the amortization and people in mortgages that the people already have, and just to help them through the interim without having to go through like a refinance process. Like that's what they are kind of doing internally with, with certain lenders, like they will do it. Sure. A hundred percent. Because like I said, you can re-amortize the loan back down when things change. So a bank helping, you know, helping out the people that already have mortgages just to, and they're still making their interest on it. The payments are still being made. You know, they're just basically paying less principal. That's what you're doing as you re-amortize the loan just to get by. Yes, I think that should be done in, internally. In terms of the stress test that like you you, you touched upon there, I, I mean, qualifying at 9%, like <laughs> 8 9% now is almost like it's making it very difficult for people to purchase homes. But if we didn't have that, when interest rates were at, one zero point nine nine percent at least we were qualifying people at five two five at that point like people would have been really screwed if we were just qualifying them at you know at one percent or two percent so i think it, it's it has it serves its purpose right but yeah in in looking at I, that's why i see so many people going to uh, alternative lenders or lenders even like kind of a a minus lenders let's say in between there's alternative products in there that will allow for qualifying at contract rate so that does exist it's out there um but yeah, in terms of, you know, making changes, yes, but what change is going to be negative? What change is going to help out the people that they already have? And then what changes is going to actually just negatively impact people by purchasing more home, which lots of people have done when interest rates were super low. Awesome. If uh, somebody wants to learn a little bit more and sit down with you to go through their financial situation uh, and talk a little bit more about re rental cash damming, what's the best way to get, get a hold of you? Um, you can uh, hit me up on Instagram there, mortgages with Zach on Instagram. Um, or you can, uh, give me a call 416-275-3649 and email is Zach at immaculatemortgage.ca. Zach, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. You, you this was a great episode. Uh, Thanks. we're going to be excited to air this out. I think there's going to be a lot of advice and, and education that will help people right now in these tough situations. So a pleasure to have you on and thank you for it coming on the show. It was a pleasure sitting down with you. Thank you. Thank you. Looking to buy or sell? Call a team you can trust. Don't believe me? Our Google reviews say it all. Put us on your lawn, your house will be gone. TheOPTeam.com.